Amen. So I was going to start off today by singing a song, but um, I'm not going to sing today because of my throat, because Ephraim here said he would cut it if I sang. I, I was singing this morning back there. He asked me, what are you doing? They said, I'm singing to kill time. So he says, well, you're using the right weapon. I wasn't. I says, yeah, but what do you think about my execution? He said, I'm all for it. I don't know. I don't know how nice that was, Bert. What do you think about that? Well, that's the end of the jokes. I'm going now into Genesis chapter 41. Why is everyone clapping? Because they said that was the end of the jokes. I was on a roll there. So we're going to be continuing in Pastor George's series through the book of Genesis. And we're going right now through the life of Joseph. So I'm just going to give a little recap. Remember, it started off with Joseph that he had a dream that one day that he would be a man of great authority and that his family would bow down to him. See, that's how it started off with this great dream. Joseph was a man with a great prophetic word, a great promise. He was going places, and he was all ready to take off in life. He was all set. And then what happened right after that? He was hated by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold as a slave, falsely accused, and then thrown into a dungeon. How did that work out? For the next 13 years after he received the dream, he went through some hard testing. He went through some hard times waiting on the promise of God to be fulfilled in his life. So I hope as a Christian that nobody has fooled you. Because sometimes you can hear a message that just come and, and sign up and give your heart to God. And now everything's going to be smooth sailing in your life. It's going to come easy now. And I've seen things that come easy. I've seen people at the altar give their heart to Jesus. And in one instant, all their desire for drugs or alcohol is just taken away. They never smoke another cigarette. I've seen people come to God and their horrible marriage in one day just comes together. Just supernaturally. But then there's other times when God doesn't do everything for us instantaneously because there's power in going through the process. So for some, sometimes we got to pray. Sometimes we got to stand on God's promises. Keep believing. Keep fasting. Keep pressing in. Just like Joseph did. Don't let anyone fool you. The question is, how bad do you want it? That you're going to keep believing for your marriage. You're going to keep believing for, for God's prosperity in your life. You're going to keep believing for your children, for their lives to turn around. You're believing for that sickness to be healed. And sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes you're going to go through hell. Sometimes everything's going to come against you. But if you'll hold on, God is a promise-keeping God. It says in the New Testament that all God's promises are what? Yes and amen. And then you remember that Joseph was down in the dungeon and he interpreted dreams. And, and the cupbearer who, who got out of prison said, Don't worry, Joseph. I, I'm with you. I, I, I'll remember you when I get out. And guess what happened when he got out of prison? 
The cupbearer totally forgot about Joseph. How many of you have had people like that in your life? Oh, don't worry, I'll stick with you. Oh, don't worry, if everyone else forgets you, you can count on me. Well, it didn't happen that way, and the cupbearer forgot about Joseph. Aren't you glad that God never forgets you, that he never leaves you, that if you're down there in the dungeon, that he's right there with you? But then one day, the Pharaoh had a dream, and no one in the land could interpret it. None of the magicians, not the witches, not those New Age Eastern religion pagans, they couldn't interpret it because only God can interpret dreams. And we did this a few weeks ago, but if any one of you, you've had dreams and you want to understand what they mean, we're going to be in the back room after church interpreting dreams so you can come and meet us right back there right after the service. Maybe Hector will help us out today, right? Thanks, Hector. And Pharaoh had a dream, and the cupbearer remembered that there was a man in prison named Joseph who could interpret dreams by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Pastor George, he ended last week on Pharaoh's dream, that Pharaoh had a dream that there were these seven fat cows... See, back then, the Bible talked about cows and weed and grain. If the Bible was written today, it would be about subways and gangs and hanging out, chilling and all that. See, see, God speaks to us in the language that we understand. And back then, that was the language they understood because they were farmers. And there were seven fat cows. And, and those seven fat cows were eaten up by these seven skinny, scrawny, ugly cows. And Joseph was able to interpret that dream that those seven fat cows meant there would be seven years of blessing, seven years of prosperity and abundance in Egypt. But the seven skinny cows represent Years of famine, seven years of lack, seven years of the crops failing, seven years of not having enough, eating up the years of prosperity. So it was, it was a prophecy because God knows the future, and that's what prophecy often is. It's foretelling the future, and God was warning the Pharaoh that there's famine ahead, there's hard times ahead. And Joseph, as a strategy from God, he suggested taking a portion of the crops that, that came during the years of abundance and storing them up for the hard years, for the bad years. So I'm going to read starting in verse 37. Genesis 41, starting in verse 37. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. I'm 
I don't think anyone would believe this story if it was a Hollywood movie. They'd say, no, it could never happen like that. In one second, in one instant, Joseph was taken out of the prison as a nobody, and he was promoted to being second in charge of all Egypt. And the Pharaoh took the ring off of his finger and placed it on Joseph's finger, representing the authority of the king resting on Joseph. And he gave him fine clothes, and he gave him a chariot. And you know what it said? It said that as a chariot would go, there'd be people yelling, make way. Can you imagine that? If God promoted you and you start riding in the limo and while you're riding, the loudspeakers are blaring, get out of my way, I'm coming through. I'm going to read verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled through Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. So Joseph had a strategy. Because God had warned that there were dark, difficult days ahead. But when God warns you, There's always a plan. There's always a way out. And Joseph was a man of great godly wisdom, and God showed him to begin to store up the abundance. You see, with God, when you're a child of God, it doesn't matter what's coming in the economy. It doesn't matter what's coming on the earth. God is giving every one of you a strategy to get through. Pastor George last week was saying that these are the last days. What does the last days mean? When Jesus died, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he said, one day I'm coming back. And he said, how will you know that I'm coming back? Here are the signs. He said, there's going to be an increase in wars, an increase in earthquakes, problems in the weather, problems with the sea. There would be great famines on the earth, great problems. If you read through Revelation, it talks about sicknesses coming on the earth. But see, if you're a child of God, you don't have to worry. Every day I get emails from all the prophets, and they're all saying, there's great trouble coming even to this nation, that the earthquake in Japan signaled something in the spirit that means that the economy is going to fall, and there's all kinds of problems coming, get ready. I don't lose sleep over that as a child of God. Like Joseph, God is giving me strategies to get through. No matter what comes on the earth, whatever you list here on the news, bad reports. You know what that says in the book of Psalms? That the righteous man has no fear of bad news. You know what it tells us in um, Psalm 46? First, starting in verse 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, You could tell me New York, now it's a new thing, that New York is built on the fault of an earthquake 
and any time an earthquake could come. I stand on Psalm 46 that the mountains can fall in the sea and everything can shake around me, but I'm going to still stand. You know why? Because in verse 4 it says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. And you know what the city of God is? That's you. The people of God make up the city of God. And there's a river that runs from heaven giving life, giving abundance, giving prosperity in the midst of famine and disaster. God's going to keep you. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Listen to this. If this isn't right from the news, nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. But God lifts, God lifts his voice and the earth melts. Isn't that what's happening? The earth is melting, shaking, great earthquakes. But then it says, but the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He's your protection. So we will not fear. Psalm 91 says we're not going to fear the sickness. We're not going to fear the terror that comes in the night or the arrows that fly, fall by day. It says, a thousand might fall at one side and ten thousand at your other side. It's not going to come near you because it says there's angels that surround you and keep your feet from slipping. So whatever you hear in the news, whatever you get over the Internet, as the people of God, we're not afraid. Here's an example from the Bible. Joseph, nobody had anything. The whole world was in famine, disaster, no food, no rain, crops failing. But where the people of God were, where the man of God lived, there was great abundance so much that they couldn't even count it. They lost track of all the riches, even when everyone else was starving. So do not be afraid to hear, oh, the last days, all this disaster, darkness. It's not meant for you. Jesus said that the people of God were not meant to suffer the wrath of God. God is going to make a way for you like he did with Joseph. Now, what, what, is this, what else does the story of Joseph mean for us today? And that's what I'm going to talk about. It's good to talk about a man from thousands of years ago. And what kind of crazy story is that? Who's going to make me king in a day? And this has nothing to do with me. Well, I'm going to start off just to look at how this relates to our lives today. Number one, Joseph was in a prison. He was sitting in the dungeon for years. And you might say, well, I'm not in a physical prison. But symbolically, many of us are in prison. Because prison can represent sickness that cripples you. It could, be the, it could be a prison of emotions where you're trapped by shame or depression or guilt or condemnation. Some of us can be in a financial prison where we can't sleep at night worrying about what's going to happen, worrying about paying the bills. Sometimes a marriage can feel like a prison where it's just a bad marriage and you can feel trapped in it. For some of you, it's your past. You just can't get over that person that hurt you. Some of you have been sexually abused, physically abused, betrayed, abandoned. And it's since that time, it's like you're living in a prison like Joseph, and you can't get past it. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read verse 50. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Genesis 41, verse 50. 
It says, Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potipharus, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my troubles, because the name Manasseh means forget. As a child of God, God God is going to bring you to that place where he's going to wipe away the past. We need to put aside every everything that happened to us. So like Joseph, we're positioned. We're ready to begin to move ahead. See, like I said, Joseph was wrongly accused. There were horrible injustices against him. His own family hated him, and he, that could have totally destroyed his life. I've met hundreds of people through the years that have gone through similar things, and, and they're so bound up inside by, by, by anger or depression because of it. They never pass that place. But here's what God is doing for us. He's wiping away the past. Your past has no hold on you anymore as a child of God. Anything that anyone's ever done to you, every horrible word spoken over you, the power of your past is broken in Christ. Just as Joseph, in one day God wiped away everything and he lifted him up and raised him up. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. And the word Ephraim is the Hebrew word for fruitful. Right there in the same place where he was hurt and wounded and betrayed and put in prison, God blessed him and caused him to be fruitful right there. You know that, that as bad as your marriage could be, that right there in that home that God could cause fruit and change to come, he could lift you up out of that prison. We've seen maybe you're sick today. Maybe your body's racked with pain or you've got fear because of a diagnosis. God is healing sicknesses. We've seen right here in this church at least three people supernaturally healed by cancer, from cancer. We've seen seen backs healed, every kind of sickness and disease because God loves to set his people free. And and he's he's not confined by doctor's reports and what medicine can do. He's not confined by what, a, a, what medicine a psychiatrist can give you. God is a supernatural God. That's what the power of God is. It shows up in your situation and begins to change things unreasonably. It makes no sense. But all of a sudden, God, God begins to change your environment, change your circumstances if you'll cooperate with him. You see, if you spend time cheating on your wife, you could wait for God all you want. He ain't doing nothing other than bring you down. But if you're, if you're in that marriage and you're praying, you're believing God. I, I've seen marriages where people couldn't stand each other and God began to bring it together. And that, play, that home was no longer a prison, but it was a place of peace and joy and sanctuary. God wants to bring fruit right where you are, especially here in New York City. Everyone I meet thinks, oh, I'm just here till I get enough money to move to Florida. And then all my problems are going to be gone. And life will be easy when I get to Florida. And guess what? Nothing changes. All your problems follow you right down there. That's why half the people end up back here again. You, you can't run from your situation or your problem because this is what God wants to do. He wants to make you fruitful right where you are, right in the middle of the city. 
And I'm not saying that God will never move you or God doesn't call some people to move. I'm not saying anything like that. But what I'm saying is begin to believe God that right in that job where you're being persecuted, that his things are going to begin to change, that fruit's going to come. That right in your financial situation where where you're deep in debt and there's no hope, begin to expect the breakthrough to come. God wants you to bloom and bear fruit right where you are, just like he did with Joseph. In the same land where he was thrown in prison, he was made second in authority in all the land. Number two, promotion came to Joseph when Pharaoh saw the Spirit of God on him. Now, wait a minute. Pharaoh, he was a pagan king that worshipped the sun. You know, in Egypt, they worshipped this god named Ra, which is the sun god. But yet, he promoted Joseph because he saw the Spirit of God on him. If you want, if you, if you're ready to be moved ahead, if you're ready for promotion, if you're ready for increase in your life, in your job, it's not going to come by working more hours endlessly and trying to make something happen. You get alone with God, let Him begin to fill you with His wisdom. People will see it, and that's the thing that's going to move you ahead. Man's got nothing for you. I used to go back in the day with Pastor George. We used to go to all these ministers' meetings. And all we'd run into is people with cards printed up, hoping that they're just going to meet someone who's going to open a door for them somewhere. Somebody's, and they look on your name thing. And if that you don't look like someone's going to help them to, to get a speaking engagement or, or make some money, They'll, they'll look at you, they'll look at the badge, and if you don't look important enough, they won't even say hello. Right or wrong, Pastor Jordan? Because they're looking to man. Stop looking to man. God wants to bless you. He wants to increase you. He wants to promote you. He loves when he could bring his people to the next level. Number three, Joseph became a man of great influence. It says in Psalm 105 that that he was made the master of his household, ruler over all he possessed, to instruct his princes as he pleased and teach his elders. Joseph had so so much influence that God used him to begin to teach the princes, the rich, the millionaires, the elders in Egypt. His influence was not limited to the church. He wasn't raised up to be a priest to sit in a temple somewhere. You see, there's people like me that are called to hang around churches and pray for people and teach the Word. But there's many, many more of you where God is giving you great influence to begin to go back into your school, go back into your jobs, and you're going to begin to transform. You're going to begin to teach people. You're going to bring the Word of God with you. God is looking for pastors and prophets and teachers, not in the church and the marketplace. God is looking for those who are going to transform the music industry. I don't sit and curse the music industry. I say, God, raise up your people who are going to make better records, make better godly influence. God is going to use some of you to change the movie industry. All you teachers that, that, that hate your school that you work at, God wants to use you to change it. I was a teacher for many years, and God sent me to a school where the, it was in a hospital, and the kids were severely abused, and the kids were being abused because they were easy targets, and, and wicked people love to pick on an easy target. 
So God sent me there. And what I did, I just began to pray. And one by one, every one of those people who were abusive were removed. And the place became a place of refuge and sanctuary. Only because the people of God began to move in. You can change the atmosphere at your job. Stop cursing those places. Stop cursing the TV and begin to ask God to raise up people, raise up godly men and women who are going to change society. I believe the best days for America and New York are still ahead. I don't believe all this sudden destruction. I do believe there's judgment coming. But if the people of God would rise up, we can change Wall Street. I'm looking for transformation. I'm looking for every one of you to be a minister right where you're at. Bring the word. Preach the gospel. Lay hands on the sick in the lunchroom. We want to be a people like Joseph, not just influential in a building in a marked church, but out there. I want a revolution in society. You know that the early church, it says that they turned the world upside down. Twelve disciples, they went and turned the whole world upside down. How much more can you do today? Actually, before I go on, I want you to meet a real-life Joseph right now. How many of you want to meet a real-life Joseph? I'm going to ask my friend Chris to come up. He's a little nervous today. He maybe hasn't done this. But as I read the story of Joseph, this is a true man of God that began to come into my spirit. And I want you to hear his story. Nervous up here. Um, Before I get into the story, let me just give you a brief on how the story ends up beginning. Um, When I was younger, I used, well, before I start, God, whatever comes out of my mouth, I praise the Lord that it will glorify your name, lead people closer to you, and my testimony. May you touch their hearts, their souls, and just touch their minds to open up. I pray this, amen. Um, as I was younger, I used to run the streets. Um, I used to hang out with an older crowd, especially this guy named Hector. Um, so he used to live a life that wasn't good, but I ran with him because I looked up to him. So he took me under his wing and he actually showed me on how to respect your elders, loyalty, respect, And after many years of being with him, he showed me that there's other things than living in the projects and doing the things that people do in the projects. Um, He showed me how to take that world, the street life, and incorporate it into the corporate world. By the time I was 16, I started working legally, and I was a security guard. By the time I was 18, I was an account manager for a security law firm. By the time I was 21, I was a federal officer. I was working for the Bureau of Prisons. No one in their mind where I grew up would ever thought that. By the time I was 23, I was director of security for White Plains, New York. I remember this one day I was driving. I had bought a uh, Navigator, and I was, I'm 23, so I'm driving the Navigator, and I go, God, this is so good. I'm being so blessed. And I don't know why in me I feel like everything is going to be taken away. So I remember that conversation with God. I used to go to church on Sundays, uh, a Catholic church, and I used to feel I'm giving my one hour in church, and hey, I did it. I came to you, God. As soon as I leave, I'll go start drinking with my uncle, and um, then that's it. The whole week be again of what I was doing, destruction. One day I was driving, and this is where the story begins. I'm at a light. I was, again, drinking with all my family and friends, and I'm at a light. 
And when I look to the left, I see about 10 guys on top of one guy. And I'm looking at my cousin and I tell him, wow, they're about to kill this dude. They're really going to kill this dude. And as I'm at the light, before it turns green, I look and I see that the crowd is running towards my car. Like the kid who they're attacking is running towards my truck. And when I look, I saw it was my baby cousin that they were going to try to kill. So with Hennessy inside of me, I thought I was Superman. I flew outside my car and I fought off all 10 guys. And one by one, they all started running. But again, I was drinking so i continue really fighting with this one kid and one thing led to another i ended up grabbing my cousin and we ended up leaving two days later i found out the kid that i did fight with which was many of them but one of the ones that i ended up stayed fighting with he ended up passing away um he caught uh, a blood clot in his brain from i guess one of the punches or one of the falls when he landed on the floor and then i knew wow, something's going to happen now because I'm going to go to jail now. So at that time, I was director of security for White Plains, New York. I had a meeting with all my family, friends. I knew the law. Uh, well, I knew some of it. So I had a, like a sit-down with my cousins and my uncles and aunts, everyone that was there. And I said, listen, if cops come, just say you want to speak to your attorney. Do not say anything else. That's all you got to say. And from there, we'll just move forward. Everyone said, yeah, 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 that's what we're going to do. Sure enough, cops come. They try to arrest me in White Plains, New York, but since I was working over there, all the cops from that area knew me, and they would not let them arrest me there. It's, it was like a movie. So they said, as soon as I leave White Plains, New York, and I come into their jurisdiction, they were going to arrest me, or I should just volunteer. So that's what I did. I ended up volunteering myself. While I was um, in the bullpens, they, uh, they told me we have witnesses and we're going to put you through a lineup. They put me through a lineup. When I came out the lineup, they didn't charge me. So I already knew that they couldn't identify me. So they held me there for about 13 hours. And then when I saw my little cousin coming in, the one that the incident was for, that's why I got involved in the situation. I saw him and he was just looking at me. So I'm, I'm telling him in Spanish, listen, um, you didn't say anything, right? He's like, no, 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 I didn't say anything. And then about an hour later, I see them, they pressing charges on me with manslaughter. So I'm going to fast forward that a little bit. As I'm in Rikers Island, I find out my aunt, my uncle, all my cousins, everyone actually made statements and said, I did, I did that. I committed the crime. Everyone went against me. Now, while I was in Rikers Island, I don't know why, but as he was saying some stories, it's, it's weird because things are clicking in my head now. God always found favor in me. I wasn't looking for God when I was in Rikers Island. I was just doing me, and I had to survive. So back in the days, not now, but back then, you really, you, to get on the phone, you had to fight. To do whatever you had to do, you had to fight. You want to eat, you better fight. So that's the life I started living. And I always found favor with certain correction officers there, where they'll bring me pizza, they'll bring me Chinese food, they'll bring me things, and I'll be like, wow, this is crazy, because they, they just bring me stuff that they get fired for. So the, my cousin that did everything, that he was testifying against me, they were going to give, well, one, they gave immunity, as long as he testifies against me. The other one, they told him they're going to give him five years in prison, or I think two to five in prison if he testifies against me. A lot of the inmates in Rikers Island ended up, I, I don't know, they liked me or they liked the way I was because I was very loyal. And I carried myself as a man, the way a man should be. They actually threatened, well, in another side of the prison, they actually threatened him. And they told him, if you testify against Chris, well, they used to call me C. If you testify against C, you ain't going to make it in prison. We're going to kill you. And he actually did not testify. Then the DA, I remember this one, the DA came to me, and they, oh, my attorneys went to my mother, and they told her, um, well, if your son flips the story and says if he testifies against him, because we know it's his fault, your son never had problems, he was a working man, and he has all these people giving references. 
I used to work for Diana Ross as a bodyguard. She gave references. I had so many people giving references to the judges and to give me leniency, and they didn't care for that. They came after me harder. Um, that if I testify against him, they'll release me from prison. And I told, my mother started crying, and I told my mother, I told the DA, I said, um, I'm too loyal for that. Um, I would do life in prison before I would become a rat or a snitch on somebody. I, I can't do that. And fast forward a little bit after that. About three years later, while um, going to court, I ended up being found guilty. Now, I was charged of mass slaughter. They upgraded my charges from mass slaughter to murder in the second degree because I made bail. Just because I made bail that I was going to get bailed out, they upped my charge to murder in the second degree and lied and said I threatened the witnesses. So for mass slaughter, now I became a murderer. And they lied on that. So now I was going to trial for murder and mass slaughter. I blew trial. And it's funny because one of the witnesses said, this guy came out of his truck and he thought he was Superman fighting all of us and we was trying to beat his cousin and kill his cousin. They said this and they still found me guilty of murder. They sentenced me to 20 years to life in prison. I was supposed to be released the year 2020. And as you guys know, it's not 2020. As I was in prison, yeah, give God the glory for that one. As I was in prison, I was, I was transferred to Sing Sing. Um, while I was there, I ended up getting deeper into my old life. And one thing I can never stand for, I can never tolerate, is abuse. I can never see people abuse littler people, like take advantage of people. So I became, um, I, don't know my, I don't know if God put me there for that or what he did, but I... I ended up helping a lot of people who were getting abused by these gangs and other people. And I would intervene for them. I would fight for them. I would do anything. But if I say this guy is with me, don't touch him because he's with me. Um, I was living that type of lifestyle. I used to try to go to church every once in a while, but there the churches were gang meetings. Like the Catholic church that you go there, it was just a gang meeting. The Bloods, you got the, uh, not the Crips, but the Lankings, the Nietas. Everyone went there to have their meetings. And I felt like I didn't want to be there. Um, another thing, officers there started giving me, like, perks. I had a pass that I could walk through the whole prison. And you don't get that. I also was getting a shower. It's crazy because it is such a privilege to get a shower every day. When you're in prison, in state prison, you get a shower two times a week, maybe three. And that's if you know people. Um, other than that, you won't. And I was getting one every day on the gallery. That's a blessing. They removed me from Sing Sing because they said I had too much power and I was floating through the jail too much. So they said, you got to get out of this prison. And they kicked me out. And they shipped me um, way upstate next to Attica, Five Points. There I was only a year. And then they saw that I had a good, uh, a good report because you locked down 23 hours. There's nothing for you to do. So they shipped me back to this prison named um, Shawangunk, which was a prison invented for the worst of the worst of the worst to kill each other. Not dumb knowing, but if you're around another gangster, you already know he's gangster, so there's no reason to be a gangster. That's it. So you guys get along. That prison, everyone got along. It's very rare that it became a fight. So then from that being a prison that people were supposed to kill each other, it became an honor prison. And now you, it was an honor for you to be in that prison. So it was crazy. <laughs> so as I'm in this prison now that was supposed to be a gangster prison, but now it's an honor prison, I met a couple of Christian guys there. And I remember one of them, his name is LP. He should be home within the next two years. You guys will all meet him. Um, and another guy named Anthony, he should be home another year. You guys will meet him. I met them, and they brought me closer to God. I was going to, there was a Protestant church. The Protestant church there, they were not, um, they would not tolerate gangs having their meetings in those churches. So there I was, you know, trying to get back into it. 
One day, this is how I came to find God, really find God. One day I was sitting in a break room, and someone in the back of me, now, mind you, when you're in here, you have to walk around, and people have to respect you. People lose respect for you, that's it. There's, there's nothing to talk about. That will go through every other prison. No one will respect you ever again. So there you have to have, and I hated that lifestyle. I hated that I had to live like that. I hated it. That's something I hated. I wanted to be more me, more relaxing, more free, but there you had to have that respect. One day, this guy threw a towel, and the towel flew. It just flew straight, hit this guy, and wrapped around his head like a turban. I could not stop laughing. <laughs> so the guy gets up, and he's pissed. Now, this towel was sitting on the floor. It's dirty, and it went to his head, wrapped around, looked like a turban, that it came straight up from his head, his face showing and everything. I couldn't stop laughing. So he got up. And he starts saying some things in Spanish, and he's telling people, you know, who did that. Everyone got quiet. But I could not stop laughing because I kept on replaying that towel. It was like a cartoon. It kept on going around. So the guy tells me, he starts cursing at me in Spanish. Now, I didn't think of it there because I'm still laughing. I can't hear him. But he ends up leaving. When I end up calming down, my friends were like, well, so-called friends, associates, they were like, yo, this dude was just violating you. I said, what? He said, he just violated you. He was just cursing you, you know, certain language, certain things in, well, he, he was Dominican. So certain things that you could say in Dominican and Puerto Rican, two different things, but he was saying certain curses that were violation. So I said, oh, man, now this dude is telling me he's violating me. Now everyone is going to look at me different. So I said, all right, I'm going to have to do what I got to do with this guy now. I'm going to have to fight this guy for something I didn't even do. So I end up, oh, he gets on the gate, and he starts saying, when I find out who did that, since I can't really fight with the hands, I can fight with a knife. So he's a cell above me, and I'm hearing him say all of this. He's talking mad junk. So the next day, I go to the yard, and as I go to the yard, I grab him, and I say, you know what? Don't blow it up. Let's walk over here. I want to talk to you. So as he's walking on, he's looking at me funny. At that time, I was about 30 pounds heavier than I am now. I was just powerlifting. And I look at him and I tell him, I say, you know what? You feel I violated you. I feel right now you violated me. So either we're going to fight with the hands or you grab a knife and you come at me and I'm going to take that knife from you and stab you. So he looks at me and now I think he saw it in my eyes that I was very serious and I wanted to do this. And he said, you know what, Chris? Ain't nothing with you, man. You didn't, do the, you didn't throw the towel. There's no beef. So I said, all right. I left it like that. I walk away. He was gang-related. Apparently, that was overheard by other people. The bonchinche started, whereas now he, as a man, has to do something because I just did that to him. But I did it privately, but walls have ears, and it spread it. So now his whole gang, told, since I wasn't in the gang, I was um, always neutral, his gang said he has to do something. My reputation was out there. So if you wanted to come at me, you had to come at me big. They did not want to fight me one-on-one. -on -one. So that day, they wanted to fight. Well, it, it was supposed to be, it's funny, because now the number 10 comes up again. It was supposed to be 10 of them now against me. 10 of them were going to come at me with a knife. So this was serious. This, I was like, oh, snap, this is going to happen. Something big is going to happen. So as I'm in the yard, I see them. They all like grabbing, they digging their knives out the floor. And I go, oh man, I don't even got a knife. So they all digging their knives out the ground. Now, three other gang leaders who are, they, a lot of people liked me. So majority of the people in prison always liked me. So they came up to me. And they were like, yo, I heard something's about to go down. I don't like involving people in my personal business. Even though I know I needed help, I didn't want to involve no one. I say, don't worry about it. I got this. They're like, yo, there's a lot of them. I go, don't worry about it. I got it. They said, Chris, is too many. You don't got it. And they stood by my side. It was the head of the Latin Kings, the head of the Bloods, and about four of their gang members, which was the Trinitarios, the, the Dominican gang. All of them walked with me when I was going to go talk to these dudes because they picked this guy to talk to me. This guy was about six, seven close to 380 pounds. 
I know he's got a knife in his hand. He has his sleeve down. He's, he's got a knife in his hand. So I pick up a softball, like uh, a regular softball, big softball, and I have gloves on just in case I could catch the knife. And as I'm walking with him, we're having a meeting. This is what you call a meeting. Anything can happen now in this meeting as we walk in the yard. As we walk in, he's looking down at me. I'm looking up at him. And I'm just thinking, oh, I'm going to have to hit him in the throat and just keep hitting him because this guy is going to take me down. So as he's talking, I don't hear nothing. I'm just looking at him going, yo, I'm going to take you down quick. As soon as I see your hand, move. And he's like, yo, he's like, yo, see, you know, he said, we cannot let this happen. If this happens, they're all going to come after us. Funny, his last name is Fernandez and my last name is Fernandez. So, you know, one way or another, Will's party linked and this guy is threatening my life. So as I'm walking, I'm going, all right. So he's like, listen, you, you got all these people that's backing you up right now, but... If you don't want to start a big gang war in prison, tomorrow morning this is going to go down. You're going to come out, and it's just going to be you, and us are going to be us, and we're going to get busy. So I look at him. I go, you know what? Let's do this. I walk back into the cell. It's locked down. I felt such of a surrender and a pain that I said, you know what? My mother been with me through all of this. Friends, family left me. The only ones who stood by my side can you stand up. Ellis, Tiara, Pop, Aldo, stand up. They stood by my side. My, my sister Lisa, they never left me. Everyone else did. So I felt I wasn't going to see them no more. So I told God, I surrender my life. I'm going to die tomorrow. Do your will. So, at five in the morning, this guy comes to my cell, and he says, yo, Chris, you don't know what just happened. I prayed for about four hours. He said, Chris, a riot broke out in Attica. I'm up here crying. He said, they took all nine guys that you was going to fight, and they transferred them to Attica. That's all to God. Amen. They left one guy, and that was the guy, the thing wrapped around his head. <laughs> he was so scared, because now it was only me and him. And when I saw him, I hugged him, and I said, yo, it's nothing, man. Don't worry about it. You do you, and I'm going to do me, and we're just going to live our life. And from that day forward, I've been blessed beyond measures. There's one thing, though, that I had to do that I didn't do, and it took me a couple of months to do it, though. I started reading the Bible. This Bible here is not the Bible I was reading. I was reading the, uh, the NIV International Version. I learned so much. But this Bible here is the Bible my mother prayed with, slept with for 10 years. It's been destroyed, but this helped her. You have to know the word. Of God. You have to know his words to, to understand his promises and to understand the things you need to do in life. And one of those things in life that I always held was grudges and I never forgave people. I had to forgive everyone who betrayed me, who left me, who abandoned me. When I did that, I felt such a peace in me that I was so happy and I was in prison. Where Pastor George said, you got to stand firm where you are in the midst of hell. I was in hell, and I was the happiest as I ever was with the glory of God. But the one thing you have to do is forgive people. I sent letters to everyone who harmed me, who did anything to me, and forgave them wholeheartedly, meaning I meant it. I did not just write it on paper, but I actually meant it. 
Fast forward now into 2006, my mother came to me. She said, Chris, I lost my two appeals. I was still sentenced to 2020. I lost two appeals. My third appeal was the federal appeals. That was my last. After that, it was done. I was going to stay to the year 2020 and see parole and then be released or not released. I told my mother, I said, Mom, if it's God's will for me to be in prison for the rest of my life, then it's his will. If it's his will for me to be home and start a family, which I have with my wife, then it's his will. No man could ever stop that. And I kept on telling her that, and she would come sad. She would come crying. I'd tell her, Mom, be happy. I'm happy. Why are you sad? You are you free. I'm in prison. And she'd be like, but I can't. I'd be like, you just don't understand the peace it is to walk with God. It's such a peace and such a blessing to be with him. They ended up having, um, it takes five years for your federal to be heard. They did that in months when my federal things being heard. Now, another thing is when God tells you you're going to walk with him, you also got to do work. I worked on my case as well as my attorneys. And I was one step always ahead of them telling them another case came up. They were like, oh, how you found out? Don't worry, I found out. Put that on my case. And what happened was they ended, a, a, a judge ended up viewing my case and seeing so many holes and so many things that happened that were illegal during my case that he held a meeting like a, um, um, I forgot what it's called again. I'm just mind boggled here. But he held a court, like a court order um, hearing. And in that hearing, what happened was me and my mother prayed. We prayed that you will confuse the DA. God will confuse the DA, open the hearts to the judge. And just granted, the day of that hearing, the judge would ask the DA questions that were so normal on how to respond to them that he was tongue-tied and he could not speak. So the judge got so frustrated and said, listen, if you can't speak and you can't answer these questions I'm asking you, then I'm going to release them from prison. And the, and the DA is like, uh, but, but there's something in here. And he's looking around. He's asking people to help him. And no one is helping this guy. And the judge said, you know what? I wanna, I'm bringing him back down, and I'm going to reverse these charges. They brought me back down to Rikers Island, and I was, I was given an opportunity where if I stayed on Rikers Island for five years, I would be released with no record. But if I was to ask for... Um, um, Time served, so I won't sue the city, and I won't sue them. They'll release me right now. So I figured, I'm not going to do five more years in prison. So I took the, took the time. All right, time served. Let me go. I'm not going to sue you. Don't worry about it. And they released me from prison. And that's how glory, you know, you got to give to God. He is alive. He walks with you. And look what I asked for. I asked for a church that I could call home which is here, the Sanctuary Fellowship, where Christ set me free. I asked for a family, which he has blessed me with a beautiful wife, a son, and another son-to-be. I'm both reunited with my family, and now I have extended family. Give God the glory for that. I just want to say thank you, Lord, for everything you have given me, and I grant that you touch these souls and give them what they must do. If you have any animosity, if you have anyone that's in your life that you need to forgive, you have to forgive them because God will forgive you as long as you forgive those. If you do not and you hold that, don't ever ask for forgiveness because it won't happen. God bless. You see, this Bible is not just a book of stories from thousands of years ago, but the same God, he's alive, and he's doing it again. He'll do it for you. If he did it for Chris, he'll do it in your life. If he could do miracles and give him favor on a family and bless him, he's going to do it for every one of you. I'm going to throw the rest of my sermon away because I can't top that. You wasn't not supposed to get all excited about that. You were supposed to look disappointed. You see, Mark here was jumping for joy. Come.
You're supposed to say, oh, that's too bad. But see, this, it's the same God today. And just like Joseph drove down the street in the chariot and they said, make way. Get out of his way. God is doing that in every one of your lives. He's making room. He's telling people, get out of the way. Here they come. Jesus said that he's going to take the people in the back and move them to the front. So maybe you've been overlooked. People have forgotten you. You've been pushed back, passed over for the promotion. And God is saying he's about to bring you to the front of the lines. 